is the fatality rate. So I want to show you the fatality rate for SARS. Let's have a look at that. So 9.6% fatality rate. What do you think the fatality rate is now for the coronavirus? Uh, this is, of course, an estimate made by scientists. We don't know the exact fatality rate, but what is the estimated fatality rate? 4%. 4%, Natalie? I want to do some quick math off of the numbers you just showed me, 1.5%. 1.5%? Okay, let's have a look at the answer. Okay, so we're looking at a roughly 2% fatality rate for the coronavirus. Um, now, this is much lower than for SARS. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? My Dao Township, population 45,000, is a place that it's safe to say lies well off the average tourist's radar. People in Taiwan who've heard of this township in the central part of the island mostly know it for its oil refinery, its industrial park, and its massive coal-fired power plant. But while outsiders may picture Mailiao as a place of smokestacks and grit, locals know their town as the home of artistic treasures and monuments to a proud, if faded, history. A group of enthusiastic townspeople have formed an association that works to protect this local heritage and bring it to a wider audience. With me to discuss Mailiao's cultural heritage this week is the association's Wu Ming Yi. Mailiao today may have a lower profile than some other nearby towns, but in the past, it was a port town whose economic importance made it hard to ignore. Trade with ports in China and beyond kept the town busy with activity. It specialized in selling the skins of Taiwanese sika deer, which once roamed the surrounding plains in herds. It also sold salt, sun-dried in pans along the nearby coast. Nearby cotton farmers also sent out their produce through Mailiao's port. Then, of course, there was the product that gave the town Mailiao its name, wheat, which was planted extensively here, and the character for which, Mai, sits right at the beginning of the name. There was lots of incoming commerce, too. Goods from across the Taiwan Strait in particular flowed in. For instance, plenty of Chinese medicinal herbs and cloth. There was also wood and wooden objects, along with artisans skilled in wood carving. In fact, the town's prosperity attracted a number of famous artisans and craftspeople to cross the Taiwan Strait here as well. Before 1895, when Taiwan was still ruled by China's Qing Dynasty, a number crossed over and were hired to work on local building projects. Among the most prized of the treasures they left behind is the Gongfanggong Temple. The temple's been rebuilt several times since it was founded in 1685, and the latest incarnation has been declared a national historic site. The reason is the woodworking, stone carvings, clay-fired figurines, paintings, and other artwork that adorn the present building. The names of the artists who worked on this project are big ones, well-known in their respective fields. And this is practically the only place in Taiwan where their work can be found. 
It wasn't just all famous people coming in, though. Some locals were making waves too, helping to put their town on the map. The biggest sign of this is a site that Ms. Wu says has just been declared a historic site. It's so new, in fact, that no websites seem to list it yet. But there it stands, a stone arch that marks a historic gravesite. This is the tomb of a local son whose merit and filial piety apparently reached the notice of the Kangxi Emperor all the way in Beijing. The emperor himself had the plaque above the stone arch inscribed, a kind of official honor that was rare in far-off Taiwan. This emperor's reign dates, 1661 to 1722, show that this town was attracting notice quite early on. Aside from the fine art and historic monuments, Maidao is home to heritage of a more ordinary, everyday sort. The town's old business district is lined with equally historic, if more practical, buildings. There are shops dating from the Qing Dynasty era, as well as later ones from after 1895, when Japan took control of Taiwan. There were salt merchants and cloth wholesalers, Chinese herbal pharmacies, and even one surviving wall of an opium den where business deals once went down. Early in the 20th century, after some years under Japanese rule, nearby towns took up a new fashionable style of building called baroque, though quite a bit different from European baroque. This was a modern brick and cement melding of new European styles with old Chinese traditions, mainly known for its use of dramatic floral flourishes on building facades. But this elaborate style never really caught on in Maidao, where a more conservative style of southern Chinese brick architecture continued. There was once an arched brick arcade running along all the shopfronts here, designed to keep people out of the rain and sun. That's been knocked down to widen roads. But other than that, most of the buildings in the business district are still in good shape. The oldest among them have now been in business for seven generations. Despite the town's wealth, Maidao was a place full of survivors. The same favorable geography that made its port so useful also put it at the mercy of the unpredictable Zhuoshui River. The river has unleashed deadly floods more than once. One particularly bad Qing Dynasty flood is still commemorated each year, more than a century on. People put offerings out to console the spirits of those killed. In what Miss Wu says is a recognized piece of intangible heritage. The town recovered from that flood, but the final straw hit during the Japanese period when another flood pushed the harbor inland. This forced the people to move inland too. It seems that the land newly lost to the sea had been the most fertile land around, and people had trouble with harvests on newly opened land. With poor crop yields and no money to make, a lot of local people just gave up and moved on elsewhere. The town's fortunes began to slump, and though it's a place of industry today, it's never really regained its local importance. There was one final moment of cultural glory, though. After World War II, when Japanese rule ended, a new local theater spawned one of the era's most important troops of Taiwanese opera performers. They toured to great acclaim island-wide, and one leading figure was instrumental in producing the first ever film in the Taiwanese Hokkien language, a milestone for Taiwan cinema. 
Unlike most old buildings in Mai Dial Do, the theater that spawned this group is now in a pitiful state, with holes in the walls and ceiling and debris all over the floor. Ms. Wu has been able to help out a lot of buildings here, getting funding for repairs and designation as heritage sites. But this theater is one sad building her group will have a hard time saving. That's because, even when it was built, it had 10 stockholders, and today there are more than 50 descendants who might stake a claim. A lack of legal clarity over who owns the place means that effectively no one does. And so it sat rotting since the final curtain fell around the 1990s. Still, things could be worse, and it might even be that the threat of a big legal battle has at least kept the building standing. After all, there was another historic theater in the area, but that one had only one owner, and they decided to simply knock it down. Ms. Wu says that in cases like the falling apart theater, government intervention is the only way things can move forward. Ms. Wu's organization is made up of people from later generations who realize the value of the historic remnants they'd grown up with. They came together and started pushing to get local buildings included on registers of historic sites. They also tried to convince property owners to apply for government restoration funds. After all, if you own a building over 60 years old, you can apply to the government to get 50% of the cost of repairs. Ms. Wu's own interest started when scholars revealed that the area's heritage stretched back way further than anyone had imagined, back into the prehistoric era. There are not one, but two archaeological sites here. She says it's sad that the finds were carted away, taken for preservation. And she also feels it's a shame that these two sites are still rarely mentioned in prehistorical surveys of Taiwan. She says she hopes the artifacts unearthed in her hometown will be well cared for and that they will one day be returned. She also hopes for some sort of complete record of local history, something that's never existed until now. For now, though, the town's good state of preservation is testament to the work that her group's done. This work does continue to be a bit informal. For instance, tour guide bookings are still done only through Facebook message. But the group is happy to take outsiders to see their town, and they hope that in some way or another, they can pass their heritage on and hopefully put their town on the map once again. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Stroke of Light, a portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello, and welcome back to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. We are going to continue our coverage of Homage to the Masters, a solo exhibition of renowned artist Shi Jinhua. In our last episode, we looked at Shu's reimagination of Alberto Giacometti's famous sculpture, City Square. Shu tackles the theme of loneliness and isolation in that creative process. Giacometti proves to be a major inspiration for Mr. Shu, as he has made several pieces of sculptures to pay homage to the renowned Swedish artist. 
we are going to look at more of those sculpture pieces in the upcoming weeks. But first, I'd like to look at a drawing that Xu has made. One that doesn't really tackle on any idea that Giacometti himself has addressed in his work. With this piece of drawing, Xu looks to examine Giacometti's own life. She tells me that he was inspired by an old photograph of Giacometti. It is a black and white photo of the Alps, and on the bottom right corner, we see bare-chested Giacometti sitting on a rock, legs crossed in a meditative posture. Years later, this famous photograph became the cover of Giacometti's exhibit, appropriately called Giacometti in the Alps. Shi paints a large drawing that spans over two meters long and well over one meter tall. He has recreated the image of the Alps in the photo, but with a lot of personal touches. The drawing is largely made with pencil sketches. He then, at the conclusion of the drawing, chopped up the pencils and the pieces to form a little trail that runs across the mountain. The trail extends to the bottom right corner, where Shi has sketched a small figure, his own version of the young Giacometti. Shu tells me that when he ponders about the old photograph, he thinks of Giacometti's very prolific artistic career. Shu says that climbing the Alps symbolizes the artist's lifelong creative endeavor. It takes a lifetime of tireless effort and pursuit to reach one peak after another. Not to mention that Giacometti would have encountered lots of setbacks along the way, and he takes resilience and determination to get back up. After facing setbacks, and to do that over and over again. Recreating the old photograph, Xu says, is not just a way of paying homage to Giacometti as an artist. It is also a way of reliving the many struggles that he had gone through. This piece of artwork in Shu's exhibit is different from the last piece that we looked at. If recreating Giacometti's sculpture is an experiment through which Shu tried to derive new meaning, this painting, which was inspired by Giacometti's life, is not just a different look at his artwork, but rather a journey. It is a journey that looks to reach the heart, the soul, and the essence of Giacometti as a person. By drawing the mountain that Giacometti has climbed up and down, she shows that an artist's journey is rife with challenges, setbacks, doubts, and a myriad of struggles that even the artist himself couldn't have foreseen. And the conclusion of Giacometti's journey is truly a fascinating one. On a superficial level, we see him sitting close to the bottom of the mountain. Legs crossed and totally at peace with where he is, and I suspect this sense of peace is not necessarily associated with his accomplishment, since at the time of climbing the mountain, Giacometti was relatively young, and he couldn't have known the artistic development in the coming years and decades. Nor could he have imagined all the awards and accolades, because most of that came after his death. 
if we ask the question, why does Giacometti seem so content, so at peace, as he sits at the bottom of the Alps? Then I suspect the only logical answer that's left is that he was content with having given everything he's got, and exerting all his might transcends him to a new stage in life, where he needs not to worry about any unrealized potential, because he truly has tried and given it all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen, and I'll talk to you next week. together already. It's time to feast! Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast, and this is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. How are you doing, Ellen Chu? I'm doing okay. okay. Well, you know, I'm a little bit bothered by, I mean, all the fear from the coronavirus. Yes. Not but really by the virus, but, mm-hmm. you know, the fear that is caused maybe by media mm-hmm. or, you know, just people around you. You know what uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said? He said, no, there's nothing to fear but fear itself, right? Exactly. So I think the panic, like the panic buying of masks, um, you know, and of course, you know, we're a food show. So we want to mention how people have been reacting angrily about Asian foods. Really? Yes. It's incredible because a lot of people remember... Uh, it's thought that the coronavirus may have jumped from bats to humans. Right. And so people were sending around all these uh, fake messages on the internet about people eating bat soup, which is actually... Uh, was a, I think it was a video of somebody doing that in Palau, not even in China mm-hmm. where the, the coronavirus originated. But, but I do have to say, if you eat exotic, you know, animals, then you really have to be careful. That's true. That is true. Because you do have bacteria and viruses to be worried of. Yeah, we're not going to rehash your bat eating experience, but I remember that from a previous episode. And I was sick. You were sick. Yeah. That's right. So you want to be careful if you're eating uh, wild animals. You want to be careful Mm -hmm. if you're going to a market where they, you know, they have live animals in with the meat. Um, But that said, like, don't assume that all Chinese food is going to give you coronavirus. That's just crazy. Uh Uh-huh. Crazy. But what kind of food are being, you know, bashed because of coronavirus? Well, I have a friend whose name is Clarissa Wei. She's a journalist who produces videos about Chinese food from all over China Mm -hmm. for a a site called Gold Thread. And she's been harassed online um, for almost every video they post. She writes, I'm sick of the bat-eating, drink corona, Chinese people eat everything comments on every video on Chinese food we publish. It's exhausting and it's not funny. So she says that uh, in the greater China area, Chinese food isn't just something 
hyper niche thing that you eat on the weekends with your buddies across town. It's our daily life. We are not caricatures. So I thought that was important to remember that. Yes. You know, I think this is kind of like overreacting over the whole thing. And we really have to pinpoint. I mean, because this is a virus and bacteria, if it's not, you know, coming out from China, it might be coming out from some other countries, too. That's right. And, you know, people around the world eat all kinds of crazy things. Exactly. She says her husband is Swedish and they eat wild reindeer and moose. Um, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, I mean, and you know, Eskimos eat like whale. Mm. People right? eat a lot of different things that you might maybe aren't used to. Right. But she says by demonizing wet markets, and she's not saying that there aren't problems with them, but by demonizing them, you're going to eliminate these small farmers and butchers. And Lord help us when all our food comes wrapped in plastic and is raised by artificial intelligence. Mm. Interesting food for thought there. Right. But I have to say, even in the States, you know, this time, the food that I really enjoy is Panda Express. <laughs> oh, Ellen Chu. <laughs> we should mention that Ellen just came back from her extended uh, Lunar New Year vacation. Yes. And you enjoyed your Panda <laughs> Express. Right. And my kids are like, is this Chinese food? <laughs> and, you know, me and my brother both kind of like looked at each other and said, this is not really Chinese food. This is Chinese American food. Okay? That's right. Yeah. I have a soft spot in my heart for Chinese American food too, because really? that's what, you know, in terms of Chinese and food, that's what we grew up on. And chicken. Kung Pao chicken, General George's. But I don't know how the teriyaki chicken got in there. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Chinese American food has like grown to embrace all kinds of Asian foods, But you know, right? I always end up eating like five fortune cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Which also like are Japanese-inspired American invention, right? But they're the best cookies. <laughs> and you get a fortune, right? Yeah, you get a fortune and, you know, the cookies, it just gives me a lot of, like, good sweet memories. Mm, someday I'll make you some fortune cookies. I'll learn you how will? to make them. Yeah. Wow. I think that that's something that we need to do at least once in this show. I think so. Alright, okay. you heard it here and first. And can you, like, remake, like, Pan Express. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. That's kind of hard. You know, the broccoli beef <laughs> with might, the chow mein. Might be easier to make fortune cookies than it is to recreate Pan uh, Express. I think Pan Express, if you do that, then I will call you Chef Olay. <laughs> Chef Boy R. D. Zandro. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Shall we have a look at what's on our special Lantern Festival menu today, Ellen Chu? All right. Let's do it. In our first course, we'll tell you why and how people pray for a good fortune on the Lantern Festival. That's right. In our second course, uh, we are going to have a look at some of the features of this year's Lantern Festival, which is going up in Taichung starting today. Ooh. And in our third and final course, we'll be chowing down on some Xiao, the little glutinous rice dumplings that people eat during the festival. That is right. We're going to have all that and more in today's Feast Meets West. But we're going to start off with a thematic song. This is called Ye Deng, or uh, Lights at Nighttime. Mm-hmm. Nighttime Lights. The Night Light. Uh, yes. Okay. And it's by Julie featuring JR. Okay. How about 
的美梦。如果世界就是这样运转，我没有遗憾。拥抱时候的暖和，亲吻时候的激动，拥有什么都已不再重要，有你就足够。First course. Okie dokie. First course today. We're going to tell you about how people pray for good fortune on the Lantern Festival. I always thought it was just about lanterns. What, what's the praying about? I know. I never knew that there was the praying part. Apparently, this is a、uh, more traditional part that maybe some people don't necessarily follow in real life、uh, mm-hmm. today. But we're going to tell you about how they do it anyway. The people who are more observant,、mm-hmm. and of course,、um, in the、uh, Chinese Farmers Almanac, there are two important days. One is、uh, for prayer. One is, and we we already covered this, praying to the Jade Emperor. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is on the ninth day of the first、uh, month in the lunar calendar. The other one is today, which is the fifteenth day in the lunar calendar,、uh, which is called、uh, Yuan Jie.、Mm. Interesting. So,、uh, I guess there are five times in the year where you are going to pray for fortune, for money. Uh, to fill up your coffers, right?、Mm-hmm. So they call it boots high,、uh, and you want to boots high, boots high cool. That's where you put your money in. Yeah.、Um, so one of the days、uh, when people do that, a very important day,、uh, if you're praying for fortune and, and and I guess good business over the coming year is today. So what you can do is you can make some offerings in your household,、uh, and I guess today is for the first half of the year. To build up your wealth and your, I guess, luck at making money. Does that all sound correct, Ellen Chu? It sounds correct, but very confusing. <laughs> okay,、oh, it's confused、right. enough that I feel that I would say it's correct. Okay. Okay. So we're going to skip down here. It says uh, uh, you can prepare what's called the san sheng. So it's、uh, three dishes, and it's usually three types of meat. Right. So it's like beef. Pork、mm-hmm. and fish. That's right. You want to have a whole fish there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You can also prepare some fruits,、uh, and you want to use a special kind of lucky money、mm-hmm. um, that you burn,、uh, and you're going to be burning that money to. I guess you place it on the table first,、mm. um, but then eventually you're going to burn that money,、uh, and you're going to pray for. Uh, riches in the coming half year. Wow! So if you don't have an altar table in your house,、um, you can also go to a temple.、Mm. Uh, and the kind of temple you want to go to is the Tian Guan Da Di or the Cai Shen. Cai Shen is like the the god of wealth, fortune, right? Yeah, god of fortune. 
Um, so you, if you don't even have one of those in your neighborhood, you can also go to the Earth God Temple in your neighborhood. And there should be an Earth God Temple somewhere in your neighborhood, I'm guessing. Okay, so we've never done that. We haven't done that before. I've never done that before. I've never done it either. Apparently, people also prepare a red envelope full of money. Really? Yes, and they put either 168 Taiwan dollars or 268 or 888. Mm-hmm. Now, I know eight is a very lucky mm-hmm. number because it sounds like fa, ba sounds like fa, which means to make money, right? Oh, I know something that, you know, the bank the other day, mm-hmm. when I came back from the States, it was like two days ago, actually gave me this red package with a gold coin in there. Really? Chocolate gold coin. Oh, that's sweet. And then he tells me, he doesn't give it to everybody. And this particular chocolate was put into the vault for a certain amount of day. You're kidding me. Yes. And he brought out like four bottles of water, Uh also put into the vault. And what are you supposed to do with them? They're supposed to help you fatai. You're supposed to put them on your altar table, Alan Chu. So the the red package with the gold coin chocolate, uh, I'm supposed to eat it. Uh-huh. So I would thought high. Did you eat it? I didn't eat it yet. I forgot where I put it. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no. Ellen. I think it's in my bag, my other bag. And um, the water, one is supposed to be uh, put into your highway. My son was going to drink it. I said, no. <laughs> okay. So we and should then, explain what the highway is. Highway is like in your house, you know, the door, when you open the front door, it should be the direct angle, the corner Far to your left left hand. So opposite the front door, but to the left. Left, right. Okay. For me, that's like the bathroom. That can't be right. Okay. For me, it's like, you know, far at the end of the uh, living room. Right. Okay. See, if I walk straight in my front door, I go straight to the kitchen. Like, if you go straight in, there's a wall here and there's a kitchen in front of you. So to okay. go to the left, that's like the... Entrance to other rooms in the place. Then you, the living room is on it, the left. Then you put it outside of the entrance. Oh, my goodness. That that corner. That split corner. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. And then you put the bottle there for the entire year. And also... So everybody trips over a it. A bottle behind the front door. Interesting. What mm-hmm. is that for? Fa cai. Zhao cai. Oh, to, to bring more money into your house. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Did you do it? Uh, I haven't placed it yet. You better get on it, Ellen Cho. Yeah, I got sick for three days. Oh, yeah. no. Yes. Well, you better get on that. I will. I better find my chocolate before my kids get to it. <laughs> because my kids were there that day, and then they saw the manager gave me that packet. Uh-huh. And they're like, Chocolate? I want it. <laughs> and then... And then the manager's like, no, that's your mom's, okay? okay? She needs to eat it. And then they're like, hmm. And so the manager went. And got two more. And got two more. But every one banker, uh, bank teller, was only assigned like 15. What? Mm Mm-hmm. To give out. 
you should thank that bank teller. So he went to the back, I don't know, and forced his staff to give him two. Wow, wow, that's really nice guy. And gave it to them, and they chow down. Chow down. So they should go get scratchers or lotto right now. Yeah, you should buy them some. Exactly. They should spend their own, like, allowance on that. Yeah, I'm just like, you two. Interesting, so interesting. We were talking about the Taiwei, the place in your house for good fortune, with these red envelopes that I was mentioning, the with the 168 NT, 268 NT, or 888, you also put that red envelope in the same place, apparently. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't know these things, Ellen Chu. Look what I learned from Feast Meets West well, and doing research. Well, that's why we got to get moving, to I get know. money rolling. All righty. Okay. Well, let's uh, go into another song. Okay. And this one is actually the theme song from the Taichung, or the Taiwan Lantern Festival this year, which is going up in Taichung. Mm. And it's called Tonight Will Be Fine. And it's by the Golden Melody Award winning band, so the chairs. So let's have a listen to that. And then when we come back in a second course, we're going to tell you all about the Lantern Festival this year. Okay. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. Alrighty, second course on today's Feast Meets West. And we're telling you all about the Lantern Festival, the Taiwan Lantern Festival, which is, as of today, underway in Taichung in central Taiwan. Wow, it's been in Taichung for several years already. Last year was in Pingdong. Really? Yeah. Because the year before that was in Taichung too. I thought it was in Taoyuan. I was in Taichung one year for Lantern Festival. Maybe it was Taichung. Okay. They got the goods, man. They got the space. I got... I guess so. And so they've got a really interesting uh, main theme lantern, which is a tree lantern. It's 15 meters tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is uh, inspired by folklore. Mm-hmm. And it's at the Taichung Holy uh, Flora Expo site. The name of the mm. district is Holy. It's not like the English word holy. Okay. <laughs> H-O-L-Y. H-O-U-L-I. And also the root of the tree lantern spreads out in 22 directions, symbolizing mm. Taiwan's 22 municipal you know, cities, right? That's right. It also um, has 368 smaller lanterns 
in the shape of flowers. And that's an important number here in Taiwan because that's the number of townships and districts across Taiwan. Wow. Is it is it like, you know, put together in that way or... Is it grown that way naturally? Oh no! This is uh, this is an art installation. Okay. So it's by an artist who uh, created this special shape of it, um, and it looks really beautiful. It almost looks okay. like a volcano shape. Exactly. And then uh, they have uh, leaf-like light installations on the tree. They have two thousand three hundred fifty-nine of them to represent, I guess, the number of people in Taiwan, which is. million. Mm, It works more in Chinese than it does in English. Right. Because you have to times that by 10,000. Interesting thing is that visitors will be able to walk into the giant display. Wow. And keeping keeping with the theme, mysterious forest. Mm. Wow. You can walk into this thing? Yeah. Woohoo. So if you're interested, you can go and visit the Taiwan Lantern Festival. It'll be held from February 8th through the 23rd in Taichung. Right. And you can also find the have information on a special website which is 2020 the numbers taiwanlantern.tw forward slash en for english you know what they did at the opening ceremony and they're going to do that again at the closing ceremonies they've got these drones uh-huh. they've got 800 drones which fly up into the sky and create these different patterns like they have one is of a girl drinking bubble tea They've got wow. like the double pagodas, which are a famous landmark in Taichung. So it's going to be robotic lantern. That's right. It's the new age technology. New age technology. Amazing. And it's breaking a record for the number of drones. Because I think uh, last time in Pinon, they had about 500. Mm-hmm. And this year it's 800. And they uh, they fly about a meter apart Okay. Um, and they can't go above 200 meters because of air regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently it was really difficult to create these shapes and these patterns. Um, but we have a video up on the RTI website you can check out. It's very cool. Okay. But I yeah. think, you know, Chinese people are really good with these, you know, putting together shapes mm-hmm. with people, with anything. Mm, okay. Pyrotechnics. Right. Fireworks. Mm-hmm. All kinds of things. Very, very good mm. at that. Yes. So that when is. When are a we going to be eating? We're going to be eating in our next course, Alan Chu. Patience. Oh, Patience. Can't wait. We are going to be having some of the glutinous rice dumplings Woo-hoo. that people eat during the festival called Yuan Xiao. Yeah. But first, we have a song. What is this song? This song is called Da Hong Long. The big red lantern is high, uh, hanging high up. This is actually the same as the the name of the movie by Gong Li, right? Yes. Raise the red lantern. Uh huh. That means you know, like all the mistresses, they mm-hmm. or the the wife and the mistresses, they all have their own room, right? Mm. So wherever the red lantern lands is where the master, the master will, will be going. Be yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. If I were the mistress, I would rather not have the lantern. <laughs> I lost the lantern. Don't know where it went. But <laughs> <laughs> my, my pink lantern. I tried to raise it. Didn't right. work. Yeah. So this is a song by Chen Mingzhen. And we'll be back in just a moment with some glutinous rice dumplings. Yummy. Shaman 
You brought me this very delicate soup. That's right. And we're supposed to eat it today. Yes, because this is called、oh. yuanxiao. It has peanut. It has peanuts that have been boiled、right. in a sweet soup. And red and white little glutinous balls. That's right, little tiny glutinous rice balls.、Mm. Uh, I think they mean different things: pink and white, red、mm. and white. Right.、Um, and you have to have them, right? Right. It's important to eat. You know, them. when I think of Yuan Shao is the one that you know. Those are big round ones. The big ones, right? And then in the center, there's filling. Fillings.、So、you can so have those like are the more China side. Black this is, sesame. This is more of the、bean. local Taiwanese style, right? Yeah, these ones that、um, we're eating now are a little bit more like Tang Yuan.、Um, mm-hmm. So there are two words for glutinous rice dumpling in Taiwan. One is Tang Yuan. One is Yuan Shao.、Mm-hmm. Yuanxiao actually has the same as the name of the Lantern Festival in Chinese Yuanxiao Jie, right?、Mm-hmm. But these are apparently two very different things. Do you、really? know what the difference is between Yuanxiao and Tangyuan? Yuanxiao and Tangyuan. Yuanxiao Tangyuan. <laughs> Yuanxiao is the one that it's fried, right? Zha、uh, Yuanxiao.、Uh, you could also have them fried. I think you'd also have Zha Tangyuan. Okay. Like at weddings, right? They have so, little white ones. So the yuan shao should be the ones with the filling. Yes. Well, actually, they both can have filling.、Um, but what's interesting is I think that yuan shao usually has a sweet filling. Tang yuan can have both sweet and savory Ooh, filling. Oh, okay.、Um, but I think、uh, actually yuan shao they say that the way that they make them. Is that they chop them into the right size and then they put them in this big like,、um, I guess woven,、mm-hmm. right, round tray. Yeah, like a flat basket. Right, you could almost say. And then they put、um, glutinous rice powder in it, and then、mm-hmm. they roll them around until they're round.、Oh, right, and and the other one you roll it with your hand. They yeah, so they say yao yao yuan xiao ma, and they say chuo tang yuan. Is、mm-hmm. that right? Am I making this? Up or is this accurate? <laughs> I think so. I think I think it's accurate. Sounds accurate to me. And then when they fill them, like they they like some of them, they'll take a ball of the、mm-hmm. glutinous rice and they'll push their thumb into it and then fill it with like a different kind of flavor. Like、mm. uh, you like the black sesame ones, right? Yes. And then they wrap the ball around it. Oh, interesting, huh? Interesting. And so Kujia Tangyuan, so the Hakka people, they're、um, Tangyuan. Are often、uh, savory,、mm. so instead of having like peanut or black sesame, they'll have like pork or something else inside、oh, yeah. of it. Oh yeah, xian tang yuan. Xian tang yuan.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you doing over there, Lunch? <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing. I'm hearing lots of rustling sounds. I'm wiping my mouth. Oh, you're wiping your、yes. mouth because she made a mess on her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> 
At any rate, that's our uh, Lantern Festival okay. special. There. And thank you so much for joining us. And this is really good. I mean, on a cold day, mm-hmm. you have a bowl of this, either for a snack or mm-hmm. as a dessert. Mm-hmm. I think you will feel... It tickles your fancy. It tickles your fancy. That's yes. right. All right. I hope it tickled your fancy today, Ellen Chu. Well, you just tickle my fancy. Okay? <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, we're going to leave you with our addresses today. Mm-hmm. P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And our email address? Our email address is A-N-D-R-O-O at rti.org.tw. Next Saturday is February 15th. And, you know, you'll remember that's one day after Valentine's Day. Yeah. So we're going to offer you a special love letter in honor of Valentine's Day in our show next week. Of course, Alan Chu. Oh. I don't expect you to write one for moi. Okay. <laughs> well, I might. Oh, well, why don't you work on that? We'll okay, compare I notes. Will. I will. Oh, thanks, Alan. Roses are red, violets <laughs> are blue, and on this special day, and Andrew will grow. <laughs> <laughs> you had Andrew right there. Why did you say grew? <laughs> You're like, I love Andrew. Would have worked perfectly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Andrew. Oh, all right. Well, whatever. So we'll we'll workshop that and get back to you next week. All right. <laughs> One final song today is called Ti Long the Tian, the day we carried our hand lanterns, uh-huh. which are also popular at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. This is by Xiao Huangqi. Okay. For Feast Me Sus, I'm Andrew Ryan. This is Ellen Chu. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> 梦见我和你在度重逢轻轻碰着你的脸所有都交给我爱我走在淡水小镇带我坐在咖啡店聊天当我送你到火车站回家你总是会偷偷亲我一下你最喜欢坐在我身边静静听我为你唱情歌
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.